Welcome to Genius Leadership Overcoming Everything podcast. I'm your host, Anna Liebel, a mind shifter, helping male leaders in tech get out of the firefighter mode, become the proactive leaders they want to be, and enjoy the ride as they go. Join me every week for honest, insightful conversations with corporate, entrepreneurial, and academic leaders about their rollercoaster ride to leading from their zone of genius. If you find the show valuable, could you do me a favor? Rate and review the podcast. Share it with your network so that more of us can live a healthier and happier life. And for now, let's take the ride together. Hey, Genius Leader. It's another episode here coming with two guests this time. My guests are Tessie Anthony de Nassau and Frank Flossel. And I could t- do a, a whole episode of just introducing these two powerhouses, but just to name a few things. Tessie has spent five years in the Luxembourgish military. She's originally from Luxembourg and currently lives in Zurich in Switzerland. And she's received numerous awards. One of them would be the Women, uh, Women of the Decade Award from the Women Economic Forum. She also has a, an honorary doctorate and she's working on her PhD at the moment while having a couple of companies. She is the co-founder of Professors Without Borders and an UN AIDS global advocate for young women and adolescent girls. She's also sitting on uh, numerous company boards and an ambassadors, ambassador for different initiatives. Frank is a serial entrepreneur who's been working in tech and recently specifically in fintech and crypto for years starting with still his study times he's an alumnus of entrepreneurial master program by entrepreneur organization and the mit and a long-term member of eo and ypo he has co-founded his first initiative or company during his studies and that was the venture eth juniors student-run junior enterprise. Since then, he's built companies, sold companies, exited. And uh, one of the company's experiences that we have discussed with him is building a culture when going from scratch, from point zero to having over 700 employees. And in this conversation, we are discussing all things life-related. We're talking both about being an entrepreneur, being a leader, and also being a partner, a family member, a parent, and how can you combine all those things together? And as the title of the show says, there is no free lunch. We're talking about that you always need to compromise somewhere and find solutions, but it's possible. And it doesn't go at the bad price if you set yourself up for that. We're discussing how the unsexy parts of entrepreneurship and general life are not discussed that much, the coordination and communication. And both Tessie and Frank are sharing their journeys from going from being ambitious and driven, which they still are, but prioritizing communication and coordination to actually make things work in a sustainable way. Tessie was sharing her journey of learning the hard way, how she has made mistakes on her journey and learned from those. And also Frank is doing the same. He is talking about how he has made mistakes before, sometimes pushing his employees, for example, too hard and making them reply to his messages and emails on, on Sundays and those kind of things. And how have things shifted for both of them? How they are prioritizing the family time on the weekends and how they are actually deciding to do that? And what are the strategies, especially when you work together and you have a company together, you work with the same walls and then you have the family time within the same walls. How do you manage to switch off work? 
and whether you should do it all the time. We also discussed the the importance of sleep and how Frank has not appreciated that part at all in the beginning and how his life has changed since he started tracking his sleep and taking action based on that. And I also like how Tessa is talking about romantic relationships, so their relationship with Frank, how she always promotes that it should be the biggest business deal of their own, and they should look at it as that. They need to invest their time, their energy into the relationship so that it works and gives this return on investment that you're always looking for as an entrepreneur or investor. We're also discussing the corporate values. What I didn't mention is that uh, Frank is nowadays coaching entrepreneurs and companies, and he's talking how corporate values is one of the first things he works on with his clients, with his coaches. And they're discussing both how they're doing it and, and sharing how their journey of finding those values for themselves have been before and how people can find those values in the company. So how can you do that for yourself and your business? And also how you can use that. They are talking about using the core values in the interviews when you're hiring people, finding people based on alignment on the values. If people don't resonate with those values that you have as a company, then the person probably doesn't fit in the culture and will not perform in the best and most sustainable way. So we're talking about those things as well. I hope that you'll listen attentively to this conversation because it has massive value and so many golden pieces of advice there. So enjoy the conversation of mine with Tessie and Frank. See you on the other side. Hi, everyone. In the middle of the holidays, we are going live here because of the special moment in the life of my guests, uh, and we just didn't want to wait for too long. Today, I am joined by Tessie and Frank Flossel. Uh, Flossel, sorry that I pronounced probably wrong, but I'm, I'm very happy that you're joining and very grateful that you have found time. I know that it's a very special period in your life. Uh, you just got married last week. Congratulations to that. And now you're waiting for a baby to come and that's, that can come anytime. That's why I decided to not wait. So Tessie, Frank, warmest welcome to Genius Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much, Anna. It's Thank a pleasure you very to much. be here. I know that you, Tessie, are an experienced podcaster yourself. You have a show since last year and uh, you're usually often sitting on the other side of the, uh, of the microphone, so to say. But hope today we're turning the tables and I would really love to discuss with both of you the um, topic of the whole living. Quite often we hear this work-life balance expression and I would love to dig deep into how you see the topic and what your opinions about it because you are both successful entrepreneurs, you, you do so much in your work life, but you also have family, you also have each other and, and you contribute to the society and the community. So how do you find this balance, integration, maybe you're using some other word. This is something that I would like to dig into today. But first of all, I usually start with the question of when you hear uh, words, sustainable business performance, what comes to your mind? Sustainable business performance? Yes. Well, I think I have um, one, one thought that comes to mind is, is um, when you're young, you really want to get started and do things as fast as possible. And that often is not sustainable. And you, start, you see that by people burning out and, and ending up in situations they didn't uh, want to be in the first place. They didn't plan 
I think life is complicated. It's always good when you think of it as a marathon. So you don't go full in and sprint because it's, you cannot sprint for 42 kilometers <laughs> as a marathon. So it's always good to be, um, to keep a little bit of energy in, in the reserve, so to say, that sustainability is, is possible. Because otherwise, like in my, in, in my um, situation, when you're an entrepreneur, you have people that depend on you and you have to be there. You have to make sure that the, the company steers in the right direction. And if it doesn't, because you personally are burned out or you're not able to, to deliver anymore, then a lot of livelihoods, so many livelihoods are at stake. Mm. That comes yeah. to mind. Uh, I love this answer, Frank, because it, it almost sounds like you've heard some of my interviews because that's exactly the analogy I'm using with the marathon that uh, we, we can sprint for the whole 42 kilometers. Uh, why do you think it happens usually? And you, you mentioned especially when we are young. So do you feel like we're learning with age, with experience? What's happening there? Yeah, absolutely. I think we can't do it anymore. <laughs> so when, I, when I compare, when I started my, my first company, I was, um, let me see, I was 25. And I mean, I can only speak for myself, but I had so much energy. I sometimes couldn't even sleep at night, right? Because I had so much things going on in my head and I wanted to realize that and I figured out, okay, we should do this as a service. We should do that. We should think about this. I, I wrote business plans in my head came the next day to the office, told them, listen, guys, you have to do something new. This is the idea. This is the idea. And I really lived, I would even say for weeks and months, 24-7 in my head, in my company, right? And now, I mean, I guess we have filled up our lives a bit too, right? We have children. We have many other topics that uh, we cannot be there 24-7 anymore. And, mm -hmm. and that makes you slow down a bit because you also value other topics in life at least as much as, as, as your company. Yeah, exactly. I have I have often when people just uh, tell me, "Oh, Tessie, you lived the life of an eighty or ninety year old woman," because I do so many things, and how do I do it? And it's exactly that. You know, I I started very young. I'm, I'm very ambitious. I was always I had that energy. I still do have a lot of energy, but it is true, as my husband just said, that um, you do slow down also because. Your priorities change. You know, when 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 we were young, on my side, I had kids very early. That's true, but still, um, also with that, you know, I still had the drive of I wanted to be successful, finishing my studies, uh, be successful in business, being a good mom. You just you fit it all in, and it still works. But now, looking at our kids, they're teenagers. We have our companies together. We have also independent companies of each other. And we're expecting a new baby. And I must say that um, coordination and communication are more important now than, than the ambition and the drive and energy we had before to make it work. Because before you just made it work. And now it's just uh, there's so many different other factors that play in that need to be considered in order for it to work in the first place. And that is also fantastic. It's a great learning. And that comes definitely I think with some maturity and age rather than when you're when you're in your early 20s. I love this answer, Tessa, because it, this thing that what you said, that communication and coordination are more important than ambition. It sounds so not sexy, so to say, <laughs> but no one is discussing it in the entrepreneurship world, right? You need to be ambitious. You need to have the drive. And sure, those things are the things that are important to, to succeed. But what you're saying is so much deeper and sustainable, right? Just as the question was uh, th that was started with. Uh, so how how did you learn that as a couple, as entrepreneurs, uh, working together, living together? Uh, what were those stages, if we 
if we say it that way, uh, going from being driven and ambitious to still having the ambitions, but paying attention to those less sexy things, so to say. Well, I think you just, um, well, I'll, I'll leave my husband to do the stages one as he is a coach of CEOs and so on. He will, he will have that fresh in his mind. But uh, for me, it is really, you learn it the hard way. <clears throat> you either learn to organize yourself from experience, which happened to me, um, because uh-huh. it just doesn't always fit then. And then it's kind of like um, if you try to take shortcuts, for example, or other things, it doesn't always work. So it's really a, f- a process that you really need to think about. I, I also, you know, for me personally, when I was young, nothing, you know, it always seemed so easy, the things at work, for example. And I would say, oh, yeah, I can get that done. I do that today. I do this here. It was so fast. Everything was always so fast. And I didn't always think it all through. And I think that is definitely something that I learned over time, just because the experience has shown me that the results are not always as effective as I wanted them to be, or as they could have been straight away, um, they, they might as well eventually ended up there, but it, the route was longer just because I took shortcuts at the beginning, um, because I was too ambitious and too excited to take the time to think it through. And um, yeah, so I think there's definitely some steps to consider. Well, see, for me, when I, when I started my, my second company, I was there a couple of times in the U.S. at, at trainings, right? I went to Stanford for a week, uh, went to uh, multi-several trainings at several U.S. universities where like, it was a group of entrepreneurs and we had a week-long courses. And I would always come back after these trainings and be so energized and tell all my, my board team, say, okay, guys, we have this new idea. We're going to do it this way, this way, this way. And after a while, I realized they didn't understand anything what I was saying, right? They just basically said, okay, yes, he comes back with this wave of ideas and they're normally they're going to calm down after a while and then it's going to be normal again. Sometimes he does have that stuff. And so I realized if you don't communicate the ideas correctly and make sure you have everything behind you, it's you and then there's for a long time nobody and then comes the rest of the team, right? And don't bring them along on, on the journey. You can't build a company by yourself. Right? You need to have all the support you can get. And that means you have to make sure you communicate all the ideas as clearly to everyone matching their level of, of experience and education, right? Everybody has to understand what the company does and why it does it. If it's only you, it's a great vision. The board might be excited and the investors, but if the entrepreneur, the employees don't get it, it's not going to happen, right? And so that communicating is a really key, key factor of the whole thing. I think you're tapping into a very important uh, part, Frank. Uh, one of my guests on the show has said that if you're running as a leader too fast, you're not a leader because you're walking alone. Just and that's what, what you were just saying. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it's, it's a problem it's, because, because it's as if you have understood math and the other person hasn't, right? For you, it's clear because in German, you say the 50 cents fell down, right? It may click yeah. in your mind. You're like, it's absolutely obvious. That's how it, that's how it is, right? Mm-hmm. And especially mm-hmm. when you come back I mean, I always came back from these, from these um, trainings with other entrepreneurs who were about as energ- energized and, and, and uh, ADS, ADSD as, as I was, ADHD, than I was, right? So they were all in the same vibration, so to say, right? Excited to do stuff. Then you come back and you have an employee who may not, I mean, a complete different set of mind, right? If you don't pick them up from that mindset that the person has, and you just tell him your story and it's like, okay, it's clear. This is where it has to go. And the guy says, well, listen, two weeks ago, you told us this. And now you're coming back and telling us something else. There is only, con- left, only confusion left, right? 
And, and so how did you learn to communicate better and get people on board? Well, I would say by, by running into the wall a few times and realizing that all these amazing plans that I've written didn't happen. Then I started to question myself and say, how is that possible that for me, it's so clear and I'm the only one, right? Mm. So then I started to distribute books <laughs> towards my, to my uh, executive team. So really, I mean, I almost started a book club, I would say. Right? We had mm. like months mm -hmm. intervals of reading, like the classics, you know, Jim Collins, Uh, good to great. Uh, just, there's a couple of books I would I would say are absolutely mm -hmm. needed or are very valuable if you want to found and, and grow a company. And, and we read those together and we tried to, yeah, like a book club, <laughs> we tried to give each other ideas and thoughts and said, look, if, if the book, if, if the example of the company is this, how can we take this example into our company here, right? Mm -hmm. And so... Um, It makes me read these books too. <laughs> <laughs> no, but no, you're part of the executive team on some of the companies, so that just makes sense. So how, how does that go for you, Tessie? Does that make it easier for you to understand Frank's ideas and mission and vision? No, that is, that is definitely something that I fell in love with with my husband. It's just his drive for innovation and change and, and, and just being one step ahead at all times. I really, really liked that about him. But it is true. It is something that, that uh, wasn't always very natural to me. And so sometimes I myself find myself sitting there and I'm like, oh, what is he talking about? <laughs> Or he, he comes back from a meeting and he's like, <laughs> excited. and I'm so excited to see him excited. And I'm like, okay, let's talk about it or tell me about it. And then we take it apart because, um, yeah, it, it does happen sometimes that, that, that I do catch him too overly excited. And then after he's like, oh, yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't realize that. So that I say, okay, this is really great. But how or what are you really talking about here? Or have you? So it's, it's a really nice communication between us as well. So, yeah, I really like that innovation. And I learn a lot a lot from Frank and the way he works. Also, I have implemented a lot into my companies and it just really it makes totally sense what he's doing. He really has a brain of an entrepreneur. I'm an entrepreneur too, but I learned from him. He's really, he knows what he's talking about and that I really like. But it also shows that still, even the best entrepreneurs, you still keep learning and that applies to him as well. And I think that is that nice interaction as well that we are that we are celebrating when we're working together um, and when we're discussing things together let it be business but even family coordination that's almost a, a big business on its own we're <laughs> all over the world and so on um, and it's it's really yeah it's, it's a really interesting way of 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 getting for me to be to do it the way uh, the way frank has taught me so far mm. So question to you, Frank, with uh, what you said, like earlier, you like when you were younger, you used to be in the business mode, so to say, 24-7 in your mind. And you said it slowly, it's now uh, getting better. And now Tessie is working with you in part, or like some of the companies, right? So when you come home, you kind of have the permission or come home, you, you're working from home. But when you are home, home <laughs> and not in a home office, you in a way have a permission to, to talk about business continuously, right? How do you have any strategies to switch off that way of thinking? And also, Tessie, do you have any strategies to help Frank with that? So, yeah, sometimes I really, I really just tell him, stop. I really say it's enough now. We talked about that all day or since a few weeks and now it's weekend. We have family time. So I stop him. 
That's true. Or when I really want to just spend some husband wife time, uh, what I did in the past, like for example, when I told him that I'm that I'm expecting our baby, I sent him a calendar invite with a restaurant invitation to the most <laughs> important person of his life, and he better show up. And that was just about us. And so that I do as well. That I do. That I schedule meetings just for us. Hmm. During the week, the weekends normally are quite sacred. So if there's not something really pressing when it comes to either investments that we're having or friends' businesses that he has on the side and or mine, then we try on the weekends to really keep it as a family weekend for us where we just play games and, and do things families should be doing. And we try to avoid topics on business and finance and so on. But uh, for the rest, um, yeah, it is, it is what it is. You know, it is a hybrid model. If you're working from home now with Corona as well, the lines are quite blurred, right? Because you do work and the same space you're working in, yes, we're having an office in the house, but still, you're still in the same place and you see each other then for lunch and to switch off just from one room, which is 10 meters away to the kitchen table is hard. And so um, it also asks for diligence and and just commitment as well towards the private part of life as well. So it's not always a given, but uh, it's something you also need to invest in as you would invest in your business. And something I tell Frank very often um, when we have these conversations about the relationship, I always tell him, you know, I want our relationship to be for him and for me as our biggest business deal. How much effort are you putting? How much time, you know, and, and diligence and, and respect and, and work, right? I think um, we do it for business in, in a great way, but I also expect the same then for our private life because that should be, if not more important, because we work to live and we don't live to work, right? I love it. What do you think, right? <laughs> no, no, I just had a thought <laughs> and um, that was to your earlier question, right? How did I learn not to be in business 24 seven. Mm. And in a way it's, it's when I think back 1998, nobody talked about mindfulness, meditation, sleep is for the week or whatever <laughs> the, the jokes were. Right. I mean, I had a couple of friends who would join consulting companies. They would be at least as crazy as I was. So I thought, okay, that's like, that's what you do. Right. And Nowadays, I think sleep, people have realized sleep is much more important than, than maybe they thought 20 years ago, right? Um, there's great literature about sleep. And suddenly it becomes, it becomes clear that if you just run like a crazy person, you're not going to be as fast as if you're rested and you have a bit more, more depth in your thoughts and you can just, you know, think clear, right? You don't have to have a, a, you don't need five coffees in the morning to be able to have a clear thought, right? You don't need that pushing up and pushing down stuff. And to so the weekends, I would say to your question now, the weekends, I really try to, to not be on my phone work-wise at all. Right? I really think it, it's, it's not healthy for anyone. And I think when I, when I look back, I sometimes was guilty of, of pushing my employees or my teams uh, to do work on Sunday or, or ask my questions on Sunday. But now I know it's too intrusive, right? Because if you, if you are the, the head of the company and, and you set this standard that you have to be available 24 seven people will do that because they, yeah, you're the boss and you tell them what to do, but people will burn out and believe the company and you lose talent. So you have to also make sure that they switch off their phones and are not available for you, which is then a point that, okay, you cannot get this question answered right now because nobody's there or you don't want to 
bother anyone yeah. at 10 o'clock at night or, or on the weekends. And I think then it's really about, so when I'm thinking a long time, when my, in my, in my thoughts a long time about my company, I really, I don't know what happens in my brain exactly, but I'm really into this logic, right? So then I kind of go through scenarios, I go through, through, through pricing models or whatever, and it really ta- and I, I lose part of my life then, right? I lose mm. emotions, feelings because I'm purely rational and and in a very rational functioning way. And I've noticed that when I'm working too long, then I don't recover easily from that anymore. I cannot just switch back and be the loving husband and loving father and have fun with them. I'm really kind of a grump then, right? I'm a bit grumpy because I, I realize oh, these emotions I didn't have them for the whole day. So now I kind of have to go back in my brain and look up and say, okay, yes, this is how I behave when I'm, when I'm a loving father, right? Or a loving what a beautiful observation. And and, uh, what's your strategy then to kind of include emotion throughout the day so that you don't get emotionally stiff? I, I can't, right? I'm really okay. trying to make more pauses then and really trying to limit the time that I spend in that hyper-rational space, so to say. He has a little sticky note on his computer sometimes which says, go kiss Tessie. <laughs> so that's really sweet you know just like a little break yeah but i need that too you know when you work on a financial model you completely dive into numbers you really it's only numbers in your head and then you really have to kind of crawl out and that's why these sticky notes help with that <laughs> and you see it and then you go and do it <laughs> <laughs> exactly that's wonderful hey genius leader i'm chiming in here quickly to ask you to do one thing for me If you're enjoying this episode, share it with one person who you think would find it valuable as well. Let's spread the goodness together so that more people can play within their zone of genius. Desi, in the pre-chat, we talked with you about this mom guilt, right? And how you, as an entrepreneur, have to choose your battles sometimes and make sure that uh, your priorities are set right. And I would like to discuss that as well. How, How do you, both of you, find your way between the all the juggling balls of parenting, of the entrepreneurship, of being a loving partner to each other and contributors to the local communities? Well, I think it's really, as I said before, when it comes to my husband, I really set the priority as I would for a big business deal. I really put time, effort, love, respect. I respect his time and I really, yeah, I really put care into our relationship as much as I would for any other things in business. For my children, of course, they are much smaller right? because Frank understands if I'm really also in my head, I'm working on my PhD at the moment or my different companies or our company or whatever it is again. He understands that sometimes I'm like, oh, another 10 minutes, you know, mm-hmm. and he's like, okay, no problem. He can relate to it because he does happens to him too, or he's late for our meeting that's fine too. I'm not happy about that, but it happens. And, um, but the kids, you know, they are smaller and, and, and it's hard for them to always understand that, you know, mama and papa need to work or mama and stepdad or stepmom and, and dad or whatever, the, the, whoever, whichever the kid is. And so with them, I always try to really communicate and explain what I'm doing, why am I doing it? share the projects we're doing, um, talk about the importance of it uh, for business-wise. But also, um, as you said before, I'm very involved in community work. So a lot of my work actually is also linked to social work, to community outreach and advocacy advocacy campaigns and so on. And um, 
to also show that it's important to give back and to include them. So I try to include my children as well. They're old enough now, but I have always included them since they're very small. How did you include them when they were two, three years old? Now it's a question, a, a selfish kind of question because my daughter is that age. And I try to include her. Sometimes she's drawing next to me in the meetings, but she just wants to talk to me. And she takes my face and just looks eye to eye, five centimeters away between the faces. And I understand that she wants attention. Yes. And I think it, it's the same here. And I think now we've grown as well, having the kids home 24 seven, as many parents have experienced. And me too, we had them home almost a whole year. Hmm. It really, you know, they will come. Like before we started recording uh, the live stream, my son came in to uh, to cook, right? And I said, hey, we are doing a live now. Can you come back later and we cook together, right? We do it later um, just because you will do noise and it will not be great. And he's like, oh, okay, I understand. Hmm. Then he goes. And, uh, and it's just really that communication, that constant, hmm. the constant communication. And yes... Sometimes when I have conferences, they don't want to come. They're bored, you know. They also want to do other things or be on their phones or see their friends or do some other things. But, you know, they cannot, I think they learn a lot from seeing that they can't learn in the classroom. And that is always how I have raised my sons, that even though sometimes it's boring, and I tell them too, and I relate it to them then. I say, well, sometimes you do things that I'm doing with you that I find boring. And I still love doing it because it's important to you. So that's how we connect, that they understand that sometimes, you know, we are different people. We have different characters, different preferences and interests. And that's okay. But because we love each other, we make that time and that effort. And um, so, yeah, it's a constant communication. Now, of course, we have three teenagers who are scattered all over the world and uh, in different schools and here and there. And now we have a new baby coming. So that will definitely shake up our family dynamic a little bit also because we have never had that before. So how we're going to deal with that <coughs> will be seen, right? Um, how much can we offer to be with the baby? Um, when do I go back to work? I had a job interview here because I want to settle a little bit more in Switzerland. To I think, well, the reason being is I like working a little bit more for corporates when I change countries because you get to know the culture a bit more working in a company than being an entrepreneur where you're alone really all the time. And so I chose to to apply for jobs and I, I had one positive, one specific one that I really liked. And I had a job interview and they said, oh, you're really pregnant. And I said, yes, I am. I am very pregnant. And uh, we talked about work and everything. And then they said, well, how are you going to manage that, right? When could you start? And I said to them, well, I don't know, October or something like that. That would be already fantastic. And um, they straight away came to me then, which I really loved. And they said, well, we want your brain, not your body. And your brain is what we're hiring, your strategy that you can provide. And then they said, and don't worry anyways, um, we're still, you know, with Corona, it really changed. Now an excuse of people saying you can't work from home anymore doesn't work anymore, you know, because everyone knows it does, right? And that an office logistic building, kind of it's useful because you can have a, a different chemistry exchange with your colleagues and team members, but it also is a bit redundant at, at, in some ways or another, right? So we are moving towards something new, a new hybrid, right? Mm -hmm. And um, yes, there will be meetings in person and that's not a problem. But I think that new flexibility that 
men and women have as parents now working from home and kind of creating that hybrid work environment, private environment for them is definitely beneficial. And I will definitely take advantage of that as well once baby is there. And also my husband works from home and so on. So I think that is a bit to go to your question again, the long answer to that. I think it's really about, again, coordination and really communication. I think a kid, we always think that when they're two or three years old, they don't understand. They understand very well. Well, I think that's almost too much. (laughs) Yes, it's really time. really, Really, as a parent, must take the time to explain to your kid as well why do you need to go there now? Or why can't you play Lego with them now? And it's it's fine. You know, it's part of life and it's important for children to know that if you want to change society for the better, you need to contribute. And as an adult, when you work, that is your contribution to society, right? Or whatever your work is. For me, that is in a lot of ways. I want them to understand that I'm not with them all the time, not because I don't want to, but because there's also other things that are important to me and that I'm a woman as well. And not just a mother, but I'm also a businesswoman. And that I also have things that I like to do for myself without feeling guilty about it. That's an interesting point. But I think the point is, in the end, you want to give them the message that you do something because you want to do it. And mm. they should do that too, right? They should do something because they really like it, right? So they discover a passion they have, right? Mm. For me, it was, it's, it was it's always been <laughs> Lego and puzzling, right? So I, after puzzling, I was really able to draw my daughter into puzzling as well. We started very early on with very simple puzzles, and now we do 500,000 piece puzzles uh, pretty quickly, right? It was always mm-hmm. the passion behind it, right? And it was always okay. And I would always have time or try to find time for puzzling, right? It's really to really show her also this, 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 I would say, word and fashion grit, right? The, the, mm-hmm. The endurance to really solve a problem, even though it's, it doesn't look nice, a puzzle when you have a thousand pieces and they really don't look like they would fit together. But in the end, it's one picture, right? Mm. And a Lego piece is the same thing. And I think having them develop grits and having them realize, yeah, sometimes it is not appropriate for them to be in the center of attention. Right? It is okay. They are kids. We, we spend time with them. And when we spend time with them, we try to be as attentive as possible and have them really full um we really are fully aware of them and we, we give them all, right, so to say. But then there's times when we're busy and, and, and that means we have to be left alone. Right? Exactly. As they should be left alone when they have to do homework, right? Which yeah. is, these days they can do homework and listen to music and play on their phone. And I say always, no, it's not going to work. You need your full brain capacity to do the homework. Same way we use our whole brain when we do our stuff. So monotask- Those are great examples. Right. Thanks, Hesse and Frank. Um, Frank, I'd like to ask you because you you have led a company, you built a company to a couple of hundred, uh, several hundred people, right? And uh, what Tessie now said it as an example from her job interview uh, that they they were understanding, right? They were open, but it, there, there were still those questions like, "Oh, you're so pregnant or <laughs> very pregnant, right?" How did you work on building the culture, the inclusive, the truly inclusive culture in your company that would really allow everyone to tap into their passions and their potential? without restraining them too much. All right. How much time do we have? Uh, 14 minutes. <laughs> no, I would say this. Um, and that's also when I'm coach now, I think that's my number one question is what are your corporate values? Because corporate values are the cornerstone of a culture. When you have, cor- and we had those, I mean, you, you, I mean, you just take some values that 
resonate most. I needed about half a year to get those values uh, up and running. I had a team at that time, we were in the, in the core company, about 40 people, and it took about five from all different sections, not just board people. I had, I had really from all levels, all ages, I had people, and we just talked about, you know, there's this typical exercise when you would send people to the moon, right? So you have a delegation of astronauts from your company going to the moon, not because you want to send them on the moon, that they're gone, but to represent your company. And so then you ask yourself, okay, so who should be on that flight? And if, if the people on the moon see them, if there were people on the moon, how would they react to that, right? So for example, we had this one lady who was really strict in bookkeeping. I mean, everybody was kind of afraid of her because if you would come to her, approach her with the wrong numbers, you were not ready at the time, she would kind of tear you apart. But that was precision, right? The precision in an amazing way because she really distilled that discipline for everyone, right? And so we came up with five values and those values... I'm not sure. I, upstairs in my office, I have a little booklet where I had them. I really like that. You would give it out to every employee. So once you have these values, recruiting becomes very easy. So for example, one of our values was passion. So when you have an interview, you say, okay, tell me about your passions. And if the person says, what do you mean by passion? Then you know, mm. it's over, right? So it's really the idea that people who resonate with these values, they're going to fit your culture. Mm. And once the people who fit the culture, things become very easy. Because every decision you have to make, you look at your values and you say, look, but um, this is against our values or this is in, a, in accordance with our values. Mm -hmm. And that makes it very easy to, to make decisions very quickly. I always say, or actually I, I stole it, one, one of my coaches once said, finding the values is super hard, but after that, every decision becomes easy. And it's true, right? Because you, you, you notice when you have a set of values that really resonate with you, you're going to be like, wow, that's the one. Right. Once you have those and you find other people who have that same emotional feedback when they hear the values, then, you know, everything is going to be great because you don't even need to be there because they're going to be there. They have the same respect for these values. So they're going to get the right people in the company. And these right people are matching people who are going to create the right culture. And it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. The only thing is if you as the boss, for example, one of our values was being on time. We did a lot of a lot of um, uh, technical support teams, a lot of team stuff that had to be in shifts, had to be on time, right? <clears throat> and honestly, I was not the person who was on time the most, right? But I decided that value was important for the company. So I said, okay, being on time is a value. So every time I would come late to, an, to a meeting, everyone would laugh at me and say, ha look at your values, right? And they really, I allowed that, right? I didn't say, hey, I'm the boss, you can't say that. But I said, okay, you're right. I violated that value. So when we had these monthly all-hand all meetings, basically, I would say it starts at 11 o'clock. So I would lock the door at 11 o'clock. And everybody who wasn't there had to wait outside. And they wouldn't get the information. They then had to go and ask other people to get the information. Because I wanted to make sure that value is there and it's, it's lift. If you evaluate your own, if you violate your own values, then they become kind of jokes, right? For example, in Switzerland, when we have banks who pretty much care about bonuses and money, and then they come up with fancy values, you're like, yeah, right. Nobody believes that value, right? <laughs> so it's creating a culture, I think, is absolute key. And corporate values is key for a successful growth of a company. Yeah. I really like what you said, Frank, about the, <clears throat> how easy everything becomes once you have nailed those that really resonate with you. I call it the inner compass. 
it really becomes like navigating life becomes really much more straightforward. It, it's not always easy. Life is still life. It's complicated and it's hard sometimes, right? But it's simple to make choices because you have this North Star within yourself that really resonates with you. And it applies to person, but it applies to the co- corporate culture and the, all the employees as well. Yeah. So thanks for sharing. Tessie, do you have anything to add to the value uh, conversation there or how to build the culture that it's truly inclusive? And I really like, I have seen the little, the little cards he had. That was one of the first things he showed me when we met um, because we met in the business environment. And, um, and yeah, no, I really, really like it that he always emphasized on it. I see him as well with his work when he's coaching now all kinds of incredible and innovative companies uh, in Europe and, and beyond. And that is really always the first framework, the first, the first thing he puts in place, that question about the company values with his coaches. And I really, yeah, I really like it. And I agree with him that it is, it is essential because if you don't align with the people you're working with, it just doesn't, it's not going to work. Right. Well, it's going to work for a while and then it's going to explode completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Because so there's a, there's a four, four quadrant matrix that you can basically sign. Right. You can have on one axis is performance. On the other axis, it's behavior according to the values. Mm-hmm. So you have four quadrants from not behaving according to the values and not performing to behaving according to the values and performing, behaving not against the, uh, the values, but performing, and the other one performing, but not behaving against the values. So what happens is if you have a system that, that creates performance, you're going to have people that are going to perform great, but don't listen to the values because they're going to be late. They're going to say, yeah, you know, that's a joke. It's, I don't care. I'm, my train is late and so on. And you're going to have some people of the company say, oh, this guy is kind of cool, right? I'm going to go with him. So suddenly you have two parties in the company, one that say, hey, I follow my boss because he said that's what it is. And the other one who's like, no, I'm going to go with that cool guy because he seems to be kind of a leader too, right? Like the alpha and omega model of leadership, right? And then eventually you're going to have a, a big enough group that's not going to follow you anymore, but follows that other guy or just ignores you as a boss and says, yeah, yeah, whatever. I'm going to change anyway again. And that the company's going to explode. It's not going to work anymore. People might quit. People might start a competing company. People might just be fed up. Uh, if you have investors, Frustrated they may kick you out as a, as a leader of the company because then you didn't you didn't deliver right. I mean, it's it's that is I think the most dangerous thing to just have no values and say yeah we do that later. I hear that so many times. Yeah, we have values. Uh, I don't know exactly. We talked about them last year. They're somewhere in the deck. But we, and I said, what are the values? Like ah, I don't know. I have to look them up. Then you know you don't have values. You have something written on paper. And it's a funny thing too, right? Because it is. It's kind of a soft thing. And you would say, well, you need you know, product market fit and KPIs and all these number stuff. You need that too. But if you, if you miss on the values, then it's not going to work. And for me, the first so- couple of years, we didn't have the values in place in a very consequent form. And it didn't work. Hmm. Only once we had the values in place, the company would double the revenue within, within 24 months, basically. Hmm. And then and again, you're like, wow, okay, something we did right now. That's very good story to tell right and, and show like yeah it takes time to to nail them down but it's t- totally worth it and it really affects the bottom line because we entrepreneurs we, we do need to take care of that just as you said earlier in the interview that people depend on us right and livelihood of the our employees and their families depend on us so we do need to care about the bottom line and this is one of the ways or the one of the 
important ways uh, yeah. to to really make sure that that we run our business in a sustainable way and we can support our employees. Exactly. Thanks so much for sharing. Uh, I would like to wrap up, just be mindful of your time. Uh, I usually ask three questions. One of them is busy. Uh, if people want to learn more about what you do or try to follow work with you somehow, uh, what's the best way to, to find the way to you? Well, Frank has an amazing website called flusser.consulting. <laughs> so you can find him there if you want to have him as a coach. I think he's a fabulous coach. I get it for free at home, but I think it's... <laughs> to every company. Then um, I have a LinkedIn profile. Yes. With a bit what I'm doing at the moment, what my history is. I'm not that present in the public, I would say. Right? I know people who want to talk to me and don't want to work with me, they're going to find me. And um, yeah. I had uh, a lot of clients, actually, funny enough, on LinkedIn as well. A lot of people can see my work, my companies. There's websites all over my LinkedIn. You can find everything you want on my LinkedIn. Mm. But um, funny enough, yeah, at least 60, 70% of my clients that ended up being my clients, they wrote me on Instagram. Okay. So they wrote a direct message on Instagram. And I'm not talking about small corporates, like really big corporates, mm-hmm. uh, City, um, Vodafone and others. They wrote me on Instagram first in a direct message. So I guess as we're going with modern times, my Instagram as well with a direct message works really well. Well, it has worked well in the past for mm-hmm. people to contact, contact me and, uh, and see yeah, what we could do for them together or within our different other ventures we're having. I'll put the links to your both LinkedIn and your Tess's Instagram and also the web pages that people can easily uh, connect with you just from the show notes or from this uh, post on on the social media. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm I'm seeing comments here that have come earlier. Carlotta saying amazing couple. She was also saying earlier um, (laughs) (laughs) that she's loving the the conversation. And then Don Reby wrote a great topic quite early in the interview. So people are appreciating your, your sharing for sure. My second last question is, if you would give three pieces of advice, and that can be covering or summarizing the topic that we have discussed, but also anything else about business or life, what would those be? And you can decide whether it's three per person or three combined. Hmm. I think um, to, well, I, I, I love connecting people. For me, connection is extremely important. And uh, so, yeah, try to meet at least one new person a week Um, and really to meet that person. Meaning, is that someone you're looking up to? Write a message. Yes, that person might not reply to you. Happens to me too, but who cares, right? Then move on to the next one. Um, I have so many people who write me. I always take the time to write back. And I have met the most amazing people that have become really good friends, incredibly inspiring people who are very successful in their own rights. And I would have missed out if I would have been close to that fact, uh, to meet new people. So that is definitely one advice. One new person a week. Well, then one advice would be, don't do a to-do list, do a stop doing list. Declub, oh. right? It's all, it's, it's this amazing picture of, of this, this big glass, you know, this, where you put first in uh, some big stones, then smaller gravel, then smaller sand, and in the end you can still fill in a bit of water, right? Or beer that's uh, mm-hmm. that I that I have it from. And and so if you start in putting first the sand, then the big stones won't fit in anymore, right? It's really that 
that idea that, that you have to take from time to time, step back and say, okay, what's, what is this whole thing about? And fix those couple important topics or tasks and, and block time for it. Because all, all the other stuff will float around anyway and start blocking your agenda and, and eating your time. But to make sure that you have these couple few important topics set and then from time to time go over the agenda and say, are they still important? What has sneaked in that, that could, go, could go out again <laughs> that is necessary? Yeah. One thing as well, which I find really important in business, I have seen it in business and when it didn't work or people did not do it. And also in private, when it comes to relationships, you know, we're both divorced. So obviously that was as a problem with what I'm going to say now is communication, you know, to really value communication in business and in private as one of your first priorities at all times, because there can be misunderstandings happen so fast. And we have it in business all the time. I had a conversation as well on WhatsApp with one of uh, my projects that, I, that I'm leading, but I was just looking. There was two team members who were arguing with each other. And I took them both aside and I was speaking with both. And I said, you know, maybe there's a misunderstanding. You know, one person is really excited about this and the other one has more experience. Maybe, you know, there's, you need to come around in a different way than to understand one another. And I think that happens in business all the time. We have these tensions coming up all the time for the silliest things, right? Um, and I think in a relationship too. So I think it applies to all walks of life to just communicate more, take the time to communicate more. I know it takes time and it's annoying sometimes. It makes you feel uncomfortable maybe. It's embarrassing maybe to admit that you did a mistake when it comes to a, a, a financial plan or or a meeting you screwed up or in the relationship, something that you know your partner will not like. But it's like, you know, one thing that I, that I heard when I, uh, in a, um, with my ex-husband when I was preparing for my marriage there, but I always, always remembered that, that a priest told me actually, and that goes without religion, right? That, that applies to everything in life. And that priest told me, you know, when you're stung by a rose, you have two choices. You either disinfect the wound and it's fine. No one's going to talk about it anymore for very long. You deal with it straight away and it's going to go away. It's going to heal. But if you don't disinfect it, you have a risk of becoming, having poisoning, a blood poisoning and dying of it. And, and that I always remembered that, you know, a short communication after something didn't go the way you planned it, even if it's embarrassing, comes a long way because it comes around any at some point or another, mostly when you really expect it the least. So just get it over with and just talk. So, so important. Thanks so much for, for sharing your... Pick up the phone. I think people now, even people sitting next to each other, writing emails to one another or WhatsApps. Or we have it here in the house as well sometimes where Frank writes a message to his daughter on the phone. She's upstairs in the room. He's here. I'm like, just go upstairs. Just knock on the door and talk to her. That as well, just be more present. Try to talk to people really because they're there and not always communicating. Because when you write an email or when you write a WhatsApp or whatever it is, is it in business or in private? You say things sometimes you would never say to a person, to a person. So just, just be mindful of the power of the words and take time. If you can do it in person or just pick up the phone, do that rather than putting it into words and sending it away. Yeah, that's a very important message. Amen. Or maybe a last one. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I have this ring here. So this is my wedding ring here. And Mm -hmm. this is my aura ring. 
you write it O-U-R-A. It's a ring that has sensors in it and it measures my sleep. And I think that was one of the most important things I ever bought. I always like to, you know, measure, you know, whatever data I can get uh, about my performance, but measuring my sleep was the most eye-opening thing ever, right? So it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's in, in the sleep in general, I think as a topic, I'm, I'm glad it became more important in the last couple of years, but super important. If you sleep enough, if you, if you look for things that you, how can you sleep more, right? I mean, how can you sleep more efficient? Like, for example, I realized when I, when I'm in bed eight hours, I only sleep seven hours because normally I'm one hour awake that I don't remember, but I have these moments when I'm awake, right? So then having earplugs is an idea, having eye shade, having the room cooler, especially now with the pregnancy, we're having an air conditioning. He's freezing. So it's really cold, nice. but it's really good for my sleep quality, right? And, and that is really interesting <laughs> how to optimize sleep because once you wake up in the morning and you're really refreshed and you're there in your head, then good things happen. Yeah, it's good that you, you mentioned that uh, <clears throat> sleep is really one of the crucial things that is overly like underestimated, right? And, and not talked enough. And actually I'm planning to bring a sleep expert on the show because it is so important to discuss it, how mm -hmm. to win down, how to correctly sleep so that it, you, you, it's not only about the quantity, right? But it's about the quality. What do you do in those eight hours? Do you just lie in bed, making business plans in your head or actually you're sleeping and rejuvenating? I usually ask the practical piece of advice that our listeners can take directly, but I think your previous ones have already covered that and the people can pick from, from them. We try to be as practical as possible. <laughs> <laughs> I really, really love that and I appreciate that. Thank you so much for finding time, Tessie and Frank. And I, I hope you have the beautiful rest of the summer with uh, all the exciting events that are coming. Thank you so much. You, Same to you and, and hello to Iceland. Beautiful country. Thank you. We must visit. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's Hopefully. let's connect. Yeah, exactly. With the first you to grow the family. <laughs> I think before that it's a bit too soon. <laughs> Looking Bye, forward everyone. to meet you in person. Thanks anyway, everyone for tuning in and uh, see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Genius Leadership. If you enjoyed the conversation, hit the subscribe button to not miss an episode. And to help more people become even better leaders, rate and review our podcast and share it with your communities. For more conversations about living and leading from your zone of genius, connect with me on LinkedIn. Genius Leadership is an honest conversation about leading yourself and others. And it's my honor to be your guide in overcoming everything 